As far as Tom Marino, so he was a very early supporter of mine, the great state of Pennsylvania. He's a great guy. I did see the report. We're going to look into the report. We're going to take it very seriously because uh, we're going to have a major announcement probably next week on the drug crisis and on the opioid massive problem. Uh, and I want to get that absolutely right. In October 2017, the Washington Post and 60 Minutes put out a joint report on the Ensuring Patient Access and Effective Drug Enforcement Act, a bill which I was the House sponsor because I heard from seniors and pharmacists in my district that they were not able to get prescriptions, especially for terminally ill patients. During my tenure as senior executive in charge of the DEA Office of Diversion Control, the agency made clear certain, to certain congressmen and senators that this bill would be harmful to DEA operations. DEA opposition was consistent and unequivocal until Charles Rosenberg assumed leadership of the DEA. Shortly thereafter, I was replaced, my senior staff was removed from leadership positions within the Diversion Control Program, and at this juncture, DEA appeared to withdraw opposition to the bill opening the door for the legislation to be passed and signed into law to the detriment of this country. Coming up on this episode of Outside Counsel, I'll be turning the microscope onto the wholesale pharmaceutical distributors and how their willful ignorance and murky business practices fuel the proliferation of opioid abuse in this country. I am Jeffrey B. Simon, and this is Outside Counsel. Wholesale distributors buy prescription opioids from manufacturers, such as OxyContin from Purdue Pharma, and then both sell and ship those drugs to their pharmacy customers. Like any DEA registrant, a wholesale distributor is governed under regulatory law by the Controlled Substances Act, which was passed in 1970. That law requires wholesale distributors of controlled substances to establish and maintain effective systems of control against the diversion of controlled substances. Diversion does not have a specific statutory definition, but it is understood to mean any deviation from the controlled and closed system of supply required by law. Common forms of diversion in the consumer market are thefts, gifts, fraudulent prescriptions, and doctor shopping to obtain prescription opioids. In the corporate supply chain, that is upstream from the consumer, the most common form of diversion is the sale of opioids from a manufacturer, distributor, or pharmacy without the exercise of effective systems of control against diversion. In practical effect, the regulatory obligations of wholesale distributors are as follows. A pharmacy customer places orders for prescription opioids. They are to not only monitor the orders, but also the patterns of those orders to determine if they appear to be suspicious orders. To effectuate this gatekeeping role, wholesale distributors are required to know their customers, their pharmacy customers, the types of patients they service, the neighborhood of the pharmacy, and importantly, the ratios of cash purchases for controlled substances at the pharmacy and the ratio of how much of the drugs that they dispense at that pharmacy are controlled substances. If a pharmacy places an unusually large order for prescription opioids, either in comparison to its previous order history or in comparison to other pharmacies, that could be a suspicious order. If, for example, a pharmacy places an order 
more frequently than it once did. That is a known red flag for diversion. If the ratio of cash purchases is as high as 40% or greater, that is a known red flag for diversion. That means that is something that must be investigated by the distributor. They can't just keep shipping. Why? Because the pattern suggests that patients are using cash to avoid surveillance by insurance companies and that the pharmacy itself may be in cahoots with such a scheme. The term red flag means either case law or experience has taught that there are certain types of orders which simply are so commonly associated with the suspicion for diversion, they simply can't be ignored by a distributor. It's not a judgment call. They have the obligation to investigate whether or not that red flag is in fact a suspicious order or through adequate due diligence, they can dispel the suspicion and show that the red flag was proverbially a false flag. When a suspicious order arises, the wholesale distributor must do certain things to meet regulatory law and maintain an effective system of control against diversion. It is their job as a wholesale distributor to identify an order which is substantially different in either size, frequency, or pattern. They must report the suspicious order to the DEA, and two, they must halt the shipment. A wholesale distributor that is shipping suspicious orders where the suspicion has not been dispelled through an adequate due diligence investigation is breaking the law. But these obligations upon distributors stand in conflict of interest with their own economic motives. Wholesale distribution is economically a volume-driven business. The more volume the distributor ships from manufacturers to pharmacies, the more money it makes. Moreover, wholesale distributors can be fearful of alienating their pharmacy customers by cutting them off for placing suspicious orders of controlled substances. Thus, what some wholesale distributors do in dealing with this conflict of interest is unfortunately resolve it in favor of their own pocketbook. They gain the diversion control systems and did so for years. One large distributor deliberately excluded the words suspicious orders from its internal lexicon, from its anti-diversion unit, so as to avoid triggering the regulatory obligations that arise when suspicious orders are identified. Another major distributor literally tipped off its pharmacy customers as a matter of corporate policy when the orders registered as suspicious. So the customers could then reshuffle their orders for the same opioids and do so in a way that didn't trigger a threshold. One major wholesale distributor, Amerisource Bergen, showed astonishing callousness about the opioid epidemic they are required by law to try to prevent. In fact, upper management at Amerisource Bergen acted as though the opioid epidemic were a big joke and made fun of people who were suffering from opioid addiction. As reported by Law 360, there is an email sent by a Joe Tomkowitz, a corporate investigator from Amerisource Bergen that was sent in the year 2012. 
and it was sent to several other people under the subject line, saw this and had to share it. Now understand that Mr. Tomkowitz, by his title, corporate security and regulatory affairs needs to be focused on regulatory compliance. Instead, this is what he sent around, a parody of the theme from the 1960s sitcom, The Beverly Hillbillies. You know, the one that says, listen to my story about a man named Jed, poor mountaineer barely kept his family fed. That one, except the lyrics to this one, as he sent it around were, Listen to a story about a man named Jed. A poor mountaineer barely kept his habit fed. Then one day he was looking at some tube and saw that Florida had a lax attitude about pills, that is. Hillbilly heroin, O.C. Well, the first thing you know, old Jed's driving south. Kimball said, Jed, to put too many in your mouth. Said, sunny Florida's the place you ought to be. So they loaded up the truck and drove speedily. South, that is, pain clinics, cash and carry. In addition to that particular email, there was another one. Same company, same members of upper management who used corporate email to send this song around to be sung to the tune of Jimmy Buffett's Margaritaville. It ain't for strip mall. Driving till nightfall. All of these tourists carrying cash. Looking for pill mills. For phantom back gills. Getting in line for my Florida stash. Wasting away. Obviously, a major wholesale distributor whose upper management brings that mindset to a job 
as serious as safeguarding the public from the diversion of opioids is not in the right headspace to do the job right. Over time, the DEA saw enough. All three of the big three wholesale distributors were fined by DEA for disregarding their regulatory obligations. Some of the distributors were repeatedly fined for failing to take the corrective action that they promised the DEA they would take. One of the other important things to understand is how little actual law enforcement capability there is, at least at the local level, to deal with a wholesale distributor who is deliberately oversupplying opioids into their communities. By that I mean a policeman can get a warrant to bust down a door if prescription opioids are being illicitly sold through somebody's house or apartment. They can also theoretically get a warrant and bust down a door of a doctor who's running a pill mill if that's the case. They're not gonna get a warrant to go bust down the door at McKesson or Amerisource Bergen or Cardinal Health or any other wholesale distributor who as a matter of corporate policy is deliberately oversupplying opioids if that's the case. And yet those are the same opioids which when oversupplied can be illicitly sold, right? Through somebody's house or actually in a doctor's office. And so when wholesale distributors say in litigation, they sometimes do when taking the deposition of a law enforcement officer, well, you've never investigated my company. It's not just that that's rhetorically silly. It highlights the fact that there really is very little actual criminal law regulatory enforcement that's even available to implement against wholesale distributors, a fact which is no doubt not lost upon them, given how sophisticated they are. The DEA has had one significant power over DEA registrants like distributors, in addition to the power to assess fines. Specifically, they could suspend the DEA license of a wholesale distributor to prevent it from shipping suspicious orders. That is precisely what DEA did to Amerisource Bergen's Orlando, Florida shipping facility. But rather than truly comply with its obligations, the Big Three chose to simply use its awesome power to strip the DEA of real power to suspend licenses and to stop the shipment of suspicious orders. In 2016, with the fearsome lobby of the wholesale distributors, chiefly through its trade group, the Healthcare Distribution Alliance, Congress passed the Marino Bill. And regrettably, President Obama signed it into law. The bill was guised as necessary to ensure that sick patients received necessary and essential medications. But its actual purpose was to strip DEA of the power to halt suspicious orders that the wholesale distributors declined to halt themselves. And it worked. That's still the law. And the DEA has still been effectively neutered of its power to slow the epidemic. In 2016, 60 Minutes ran the first of several segments on how the big three simply changed the laws that it refused to follow for the specific purpose of continuing to profit from the opioid epidemic it was helping to fuel. 
as one observer in the segment noted, certain wholesale distributors were doing everything in their power to keep the epidemic going. In 2018, top executives from each of the three wholesale distributors that we refer to as the big three, McKesson, Amerisource Bergen, and Cardinal Health, raised their right hands and under oath denied at a United States House subcommittee hearing that their companies helped cause America's opioid epidemic in any way. Each of these distributors has continued with the same denial, the same unwillingness to take any responsibility, and the same mantra. By the time that top executives from the big three wholesale distributors all denied under oath, having played any role in fueling an opioid epidemic, each of their companies had already been fined by DEA for failing to maintain effective systems of control against diversion. Now, in opioid litigation, the denial is the same. Specifically, the theme in opioid litigation from the standpoint of the defendants is, we just drive trucks. Whoever the bad actors are, the drug addicts, the pill mill doctors, even the opioid manufacturers with their misleading marketing, that's not us, they claim. All we do is drive trucks. Unfortunately, nothing could be farther from the truth. In reality, distributors have crucial responsibilities under regulatory law to prevent diversion, but also are in a unique position to do so because of where they're positioned in the supply chain. Distributors buy opioids from manufacturers, but also sell them a suite of services, including promotion of those drugs for the purpose of trying to drive demand in patients for those drugs. Those promotions have included patient incentive programs called adherence programs, where distributors issue coupons for doctors to give to their patients, which then allow patients to refill their opioid prescriptions. The distributors that issue these opioid coupons also track when and where they are redeemed at pharmacies and then give that tracking data to their manufacturer customers who then use that data to discern which prescribers to promotionally target with more opioid coupons and other promotions. If a wholesale distributor just drove trucks, why in the hell would they be interested in ensuring that patients continue to fill prescriptions for addictive drugs, as well as then handing that tracking data over to manufacturers who know they will use that information to further target heavy prescribers of opioid drugs and drive demand further. Wholesale distributors in the opioid supply chain market are, in my view, like a piano player in a brothel who claims to just be an artist and has no idea what's happening upstairs. Now, the big three distributors are not alone in running into legal troubles over their failure to maintain effective controls against opioid diversion. Some legal charges have been made under criminal law rather than merely regulatory law or in civil litigation. In 2019, another wholesale distributor, Miami Lucan, was indicted along with two of its executives by a federal grand jury. Among the charges, was an allegation that Miami Lucan distributed 3.7 million hydrocodone pills to a pharmacy in Kermit, West Virginia, 
a town of 400 people. The criminal case is set for trial in early 22. No matter what happens, no matter who's held responsible, the damage has been done. Lest there be any doubt that wholesale distributors were engaged in the promotion of addictive drugs, specifically prescription opioids, for the purpose of driving demand for those drugs, consider their practice of utilizing adherence programs. These are programs where in partnership with opioid manufacturers, these wholesale distributors, not all of them, but many of them, would issue coupons. Now the coupon was to be provided to the physician. The physician was to then to provide the opioid to the patient. The significance of this is, is that branded drugs, including branded prescription opioids, are more expensive than generics. And what wholesale distributors wanted to help manufacturers do was continue to keep sales up for these more expensive drugs, the branded ones. So one way to manage that price point better for a patient who is habitually using opioid drugs was to give them coupons which would reduce the price down to the copay, sometimes even alleviating the copay. The idea was that the patient could use these coupons over and over again. Now, a patient who uses opioids over and over again is going to become physically dependent upon them almost always. That is, they're going to be unable to stop taking those opioids without severe withdrawal symptoms unless they are tapered in a closely medically monitored setting off those drugs. Worse, patients who take prescription opioids habitually have an overwhelming likelihood of becoming addicted or worse, potentially overdosing. Now, what legitimate business interest would a wholesale distributor have in trying to make addictive medications more accessible to patients on a habitual basis? The answer is none. There's no legitimate reason for them to wanna to do that other than economic motive. Not only that, they were tracking the redemption of these coupons and giving that data to sales representatives of manufacturers on internet portals to access in real time so that they could hone their marketing of the highest opioid prescribing physicians and give them more coupons. But if the manufacturers could have managed all of those logistics and networking themselves, they would have. Why pay somebody else to do it? They paid the distributors. They paid the distributors to do it because the distributors had more efficient means to do it. And the distributors were very willing. Knowing that, the idea that they just drive trucks, it insults our intelligence. If you or someone you know is struggling with opioids, please visit www.addictioncenter.com to learn more about the available resources in your community.
This podcast is produced by Shannon McDees of Revel and Convey and Larry Shivana. Parody songs were written by a variety of pharma execs and scored and performed for this episode by Chad Oliver. The opinions expressed on outside counsel are neither legal nor medical advice. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the speakers, guests, experts, and or host. They do not expressly nor necessarily reflect the opinion of any institution with which I am or ever have been a member and should never be attributed as such. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Outside Counsel. I'm Jeffrey B. Simon. On the next episode of Outside Counsel, we will explore aggressive drug company marketing of a reckless lie that the most effective and safest method of treating patients with chronic pain was to prescribe them opioids. In this episode, we will explore the consequences of that conduct and that in fact, we've been here before and yet we're here again.